Well, good morning again. Normally this Sunday is the first Sunday of the month we usually do communion, but I didn't want to breathe all over the communion and get everybody sick, and so we'll do communion next week, and then, uh, and so, but if you have your Bibles, we're going to pick up from where we left off before Christmas in the book of 1 Peter. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 16. If anyone needs a Bible, just raise your hand and I will bring one to you. <laughs> what cost is up? Anybody need a Bible? <laughs> no one does. I could have told you no one needed one, but I just I wanted to see you come up here and run up here. So, <laughs> all right. First Peter chapter one, starting in verse thirteen, we read. Let me make sure the door gets shut. I hear my granddaughter back there. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. The title of my study this morning is Up. I figure if they can call a movie that, I can make a title of a sermon that. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you're doing in each one of our hearts, Lord. We thank you for uh, just this uh, opportunity that we can spend, Lord, listening to what you have to say to each one of us here. Lord, give us open ears to receive all that we have, uh, all that you have for us, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would come to know you through this time together, Lord. And uh, just bless this time, we pray. Bless our kids downstairs as they're being ministered to uh, through your word as well, Lord, and, uh, and all things that we bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, Happy New Year to you all. You know, the New Year's Day is really one of the most... Uh, universal holidays that we celebrate. Uh, many people, they make their New Year's resolutions and they will change something in their lives. You know, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to do this. or uh, you know, And then resolutions are good, especially if there are changes that we need to make in our lives. Heard about one poor guy who called his girlfriend and got the following recording. I'm not available right now, but thank you for caring enough to call I'm making some changes in my life. Please leave a message after the beep. If I do not return your call, you are one of those changes. Well, sorry for that guy. It's good to make changes for the most part, as we are often reminded by our critics, our spouses, and our children, none of us are perfect. In fact, you know, some of us might have some deep regrets about the way we, we, uh, we've lived our lives, but that doesn't have to be the norm. I read a story about a man named... Uh, a man in Fredericksburg, Virginia, named Cliff Satterthwaite, who helps people get rid of their regrets. Each New Year's Eve, he sets up a booth there in Fredericksburg where those celebrating New Year's Eve can come for a moment of sober reflection. And he emphasizes the word sober. And those coming to him can write their regrets on a scrap piece of paper and then set a match to them and turn them to ashes in an adjacent canister. Literally, the regrets go up in smoke. At least, that's the general idea. 
Now, we could do that on a Sunday morning, I suppose. We could write our regrets on a piece of paper and bring them to the altar and watch them go up in smoke. But, but, uh, and it might be some therapeutic, but I've never really been to, into burning things up on the altar like this. And, and, uh, and in an old building like ours, it could be the last time we burned something in, in something like this. But, uh, but even more so, because our study this morning puts its emphasis not on our past, but on our future. What God wants for us in the coming year. And it's quite obvious that our world is, is changing and not for the good. And our Lord warned us it would get more difficult to live for Him in the days just prior to His coming. And I know no greater text right now that needs to be burned into our hearts and the hearts of American Christians more than 1 Peter chapter three verses thir- chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. See, Peter is writing to many who had come from pagan backgrounds, living in a pagan society where there is great pressure to conform, just to go along with the crowd. And Peter is saying, now more than ever, you need to stand strong. And in so doing, he makes three points that we're going to look at this morning with my message title up. If you're taking notes, Peter tells us three things. Number one, gird up. Number two, sober up. And number three, grow up. Number one, gird up. Verse 13, Peter says, therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you find out what it's there for. And, uh, and referring to the previous verses. Peter's saying, therefore, because Christ is our hope of glory. Therefore, because he has begotten to us to a living hope and an inheritance, this great salvation that verses 10 through 12 tell us, the prophet studied and longed to understand this great salvation that angels looked at and pondered about and Jesus provided for, Peter says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, verse 13. That phrase may sound a little bit bizarre. I've heard of windmills of my mind. I've heard of cobwebs of my mind. I've heard of tenderloins. I've heard of pork loins. But mind loins, I, I don't know. How do I gird the, gird the loin of my mind? Sounds kind of foreign, kind of creepy even, but... but People are people. Peter, rather, is writing to people who absolutely understood what he was talking about. It's an old phrase that could be translated cinch up or, or belt up. It comes from 2,000 years ago when men back then, they dressed in, in the long robes and flowing robes. It was the fashion of the day. It was the style of the day. It was very uh, uh, practical. But there's a problem with it. Because if you needed to do some work or you needed to, to make, make up some time fast or run or something, you'd get tangled up in that robe itself. You know, and, and you oftentimes would make a face, you know, flat right on the ground and fall. And, you know, a lot of times when we do weddings here, I'll have the bride come up. I say, okay, when, when you come up the stairs here, you might want to cinch up your gown just so you don't, you know, fall down on your face in front of all the people that are here. Well, it's the same idea here. Uh, a, a man 2,000 years ago who wanted to work would gird up or cinch up his robe and tuck it into his belt around his waist. So the modern equivalent that you might, Peter might be saying to us would be roll up your, the sleeves of your mind. Simply put, get ready, get, get mentally prepared. I would say especially as we enter into 2022, get mentally prepared. Pull in all those loose ends of your thinking. Get rid, get rid of anything that would hinder your forward movement with the Lord. Gird up the loins of your mind. Think clearly. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're to be casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, gather up 
all our attitudes and our outlook on life and place them under Jesus' authority, taking every thought captive unto Christ. Now, I think we can better understand what it means to gird up our minds if we look at the opposite of, of this word. The opposite of gathering up is to let loose or, or laxity. And we're seeing more and more in our culture today in which we're living and some believers are getting very lax and they're very loose in their approach uh, to living for Christ. Let me give you just three ways in which I'm seeing that. Three areas. First, in faith. Some people are lax in their mentality as it relates to their faith and they've accepted really a, a smorgasbord of, of theology and false doctrines and they're taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that, whatever works, whatever fits in their life and, 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 and it's, it's wrong. Many believers are becoming more and more experientially driven in their relationship with the Lord to their detriment and becomes all about the experience and not the Word of God. And because sadly their, their faith is experience driven, churches have kind of catered to them and adapted to new age teachings and practices and the church to accommodate what people want even without realizing it. Well, there's, there's mega churches nowadays packed with people wanting to experience the next new thing but not really growing in their relationship with the Lord because the Word of God is not being taught. They're just giving what people want to hear. And we need to be aware of that in this coming year that it's only going to get worse. Paul tells us that in 2 Timothy 4.3 that there is a time coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. That's why Peter says, gird up your minds. Don't open your mind and take into things that, that God's Word comes against. Our, our plumb line is the Word of God, period. Not emotional experiences. Another thing we're seeing more and more of Christians who are getting very lax and loose in their thinking is when it comes to morality. They think of going to places, uh, you know, nothing, nothing of going to places where moral behavior is promoted or where God's name is blasphemed. They think of nothing of sitting down and watching a movie that's going to show nudity or sex scenes or vulgarity. And they'll say, well, I know it's bad, but it's got such a good story. Listen, if you want to read a really good story, read your Bible. It's chock full of them. The internet today, filled with filth and, instant, and immorality, instantaneously available with a simple click of a mouse. You know, wives are grieving every single day as they find out their, their husbands are addicted to pornography. Marriages are being destroyed all the time due to it. The American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers reports that 56% of divorce cases involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And again, we know it's going to just get worse as the days go on. David wrote in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away and shall not cling to me. Peter says, gird up your minds. Third way people are relaxed or loosed in their dealings, in their lives, is their business dealings. I think this is one area that, that a lot of Christians rationalize the most in. They, they can be dishonest in their business dealings or in the way they treat people. They're dishonest in the way they, they cut corners or the way they rationalize it by saying, oh, it's no big deal. You've got to make a living. Everyone does it. I think of the, you know, the construction project that we're having on, on North National. And, and you know, I get these guys coming in and they give me a bid. And, and one guy, some of these guys claiming to be Christian, they, 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 here's the bid, it's X amount of dollars. So oh, let me get another bid. And the next guy, it's like 10 times as much. And you're going, how could that be? I mean, it's the same work. How is that happening there? Well, because people want to take advantage of people. 
a lot of times, well, it's a church, and churches got money, so we're going to charge more. You know, I say, okay, that's not the way it works. Jesus put it, puts it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So gird up your mind. Don't take advantage of people. Many Christians today are getting very lax and loose in their thinking and in their approach to life when it comes to faith and morality and, and business dealings. They hear message after message on Sunday morning on the truth of the Bible, on morality, on honesty, and they may feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit on Sunday, but forget all about it on Monday morning. In other words, their lives are not completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus. So Peter is saying, listen, it's time to change your mind. Time to get off the fence and start looking up. Jesus is coming back soon. Get your life where it needs to be, completely sold out for Jesus. Now, we know it's God who changes our hearts. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. And if you choose to change your mind, then God will change your heart. That's what it means to repent. Repent means to change one's mind, change one's direction, to stop your direction you're going and go the other way. It's been said, your outlook determines your outcome, but your attitude determines your action. So have a change of mind, a change of attitude towards sin to get the heart that God wants you to have. And again, if you want a heart that loves to please the Lord in all your actions, and not a heart that's always under the conviction of the Holy Spirit because of your actions, then change your mind. So for 2022 and beyond, gird up the loins of your mind, and if need be, change the way that you think, and get your focus back where it needs to be, upward on Jesus. Point number one, gird up. Point number two, sober up. Again, verse 13, he says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober. Now you say, well, I'm okay with that. I'm sober this morning. I didn't come to church drunk. That's not what it's saying here. <laughs> it's wonderful that you didn't. But, but the idea is, is not just don't be drunk, but rather to, to think clearly, to be morally decisive. See, girding up the loins of our mind deals primarily with our thoughts, how to think rightly, but being sober speaks of how we should act. speaks about our actions. Actually, the word sober means simply the opposite of being intoxicated. We've all seen people who have been intoxicated by alcohol or drugs. You see their behavior, the way they walk, the way they talk, the way they have an inability to operate a motor vehicle, their inability to find their way home. But you know, people can become intoxicated by other things as well, not just drugs or alcohol. And they can lose their way. They can become intoxicated by circumstances. Their whole outlook on life is determined by what's going on in their lives presently, and that's all they talk about. That's all that concerns them. In other words, their lives are controlled by their emotions. And as a result, their behavior is influenced by whatever emotion has control over them at that time. It could be fear. It could be anxiety, it could be anger, or doubt, depression. Something has a, a controlling influence over their lives to the point where they're literally intoxicated by their emotions and the way in which they think and act and talk and deal with other people. And it's detrimental, or rather it's determined by their emotional state. That's why I believe the enemy uses fear the most when it comes to, to, to Christians today. If he can get Christians to be afraid, then faith goes out the window. The opposite of faith is fear. And fear leads to anxiety. Anxiety leads to anger and doubt and depression. In other words, these emotions have an intoxicating effect upon our lives. You know, some people can't even go out at night because of fear and anxiety. 
Some are, are drunk with anger and always uptight about something. And you hear it in their speech. They're always negative or critical or abusive and degrading. You know, some people just are, are drunk with gossip. They've got to tell someone else about something else that happened to someone else all the time. Some are drunk on worry, and worry is taking control of their lives, always anxious, always freaking out over things that they don't need to freak out over. Listen, the people that, the, the people that Peter was writing to were going through real persecution. They were going through real struggles where they didn't know if they had one more day to live or not. They didn't know if that happened to be the last day of their lives or, or they, if they would be put to death for their faith. So Peter is exhorting them to be sober. He's saying, listen, don't be drunk with fear and anxiety or revenge or anger. Don't allow those emotions to control your life or your outlook or your actions in life. Don't be controlled by your emotions. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says, look at the rest of verse 13. He says, Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love that. Instead of being caught up in the chaos uh, of, and the havoc of, of life, instead of freaking out over every little thing, Peter says, rest. Rest. Rest in the hope that's in yours in Christ. I like that. It's like saying, just breathe. Just, just relax. I mean, especially after all the Christmas and New Year's. Okay, <sighs> we can just, just relax. How can we rest in a world that's so messed up? Because we have hope. Hope in the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope because we have a relationship with Him. Hope because He's going to give us life beyond the grave. And hope because He's going to give us life worth living on this earth. He's going to give us life after death and during life if you're giving your life to Him, He gives us life. Someone once said, when the outlook is bad, try the uplook. I like that. Peter says, gird up. Get tighter with the Lord. Sober up. Don't let your emotions control you. Then the third thing Peter says, points out, he says, grow up. Look at verse 14 through 16. As obedient children, not conforming yourself to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who is called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. When Peter says as obedient children, literally he means children of obedience. I think about the story of a mom who, who just had a tough day with her kid, and the kid is just being disobedient one after another, no matter what she said to him. Finally she says to him, Do whatever you want. Try and disobey that. You know, it's a, he couldn't. Well, here Peter speaks of obedience. It's more of who we are and not something that we do. I mean, think about it. Isn't it great to get a compliment you know, from someone and say, man, you have such obedient children. Why are they obedient? Because they learn to be uh, uh, obedient. It's who they are. In the same way, we're to be as obedient children of the Lord because we've grown in our relationship with the Lord. We've learned to be obedient. It's who we are. So that in verse 14, we are no longer conforming ourselves to the former lusts in your ignorance. That word conforming means to fashion or to model after. It's a picture of a model who is portraying a certain look. Peter is saying, don't model your life after your old life. Don't conform yourself to that former lust as in your ignorance. Don't go back to that old life of sin when you didn't know any better. I mean, think about some of the dumb things you did before you knew Christ that you thought were going to bring satisfaction. I mean, you hear it in movies. You know, this guy's going through a difficult time and he says to his buddy, oh, I really need a drink, as if drinking alcohol is going to bring, make everything better. We used to think that way before we came to Christ. 
Maybe you thought experimenting with drugs are going to bring satisfaction or alcohol or bring some comfort in your life or some immoral relationship you and you thought this would bring satisfaction. You know, sometimes I hear Christians almost re- represent uh, reminiscing about their past life like it was the good old days. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I remember the good old days when you went through all those parties and you felt all alone when you went there. All the fake friends you had in those good old days that surrounded you because they wanted something from you. But you felt more isolated and all alone. The good old days of bowing down to that porcelain throne and heaving out your guts. <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Listen to the Apostle Paul talk about the good old days in Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3 in the New Living Translation. He says, yeah, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we should subject to God's anger just like everyone else. Now that's an honest look back. We are dead, doomed, a prisoner to our own lust, and subject always to God's anger. That's where we came from. So why in the world would we want to go back to that when we go through difficult times? Why would you say, oh, this is a really tough time in my life. I'm going to go back to the way I used to be that way. No, it's horrible. Peter's saying, I know that life is hard right now. And I know you're going through difficult times and struggles, but going back to your old life isn't going to bring peace in your life. It's only going to bring more turmoil. And you need to look up. Again, that's why Peter said back in verse 13, we're to rest our hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Because it's only through Jesus Christ that we have hope. And when you have hope, then you have peace. But you're not going to find hope or peace from that old life. It's only found in our new life in Christ. Now when Peter uses the word the former lust in verse 14, he's saying don't behave the way you used to do before you, you knew better. Grow up. Simply put, there are things we used to do that we're not to do anymore. People used to hang out with that are just not good for you to hang out with anymore because they're just going to bring you down. Internet sites you used to visit that you have no business looking at now. There are movies that you used to watch that you just ought to, to leave alone. Have you done that? Uh, I've done this. I think some of you have. You begin to watch a movie that you used to like years ago before you got saved. And you go, oh man, this is, a, this is a really good movie. And you turn it on and you start watching. You go, this is a horrible movie. I can't watch this movie. It's horrible. You know, I think, of, what was it, Grease with John Travolta, that movie. I loved that when I was, before I was saved. I turned it on with the kids two years ago, and the very first song went, No! This is wrong! Click! You know, you, you turn it off because it, you, you just go, this, you, you don't realize how horrible it was. Peter says, Don't go back there. I have to tell you, since, since I've been sick and homeless last week, I confess, I've been some Star Trek episodes. I, I like it. And, but I also watched you know, a Christian movie called What If on, on Pureflex. Great movie. I, I recommend you watch it. But I realized after watching both, one made me think about the Lord and His goodness and His kindness and His sovereignty. And the other one made me think about killing Klingons. And, and, and I thought, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch Star Trek. I enjoy that. All I'm saying is our life should be filled with more things that draw us closer to the Lord than further away from Him. And we're to live in such a way that reveals that we've been transformed from the inside out. Not to fashion our, our, our life to look like our old life, Peter says, but in verse 15, to fashion your life after holiness. 
That brings us to verse 15 and 16. Peter says, But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Great words that we need today. D.L. Moody has said, A holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. I like that. The late Raven, uh, Leonard Ravenhill, Christian evangelist, author, who focused on the subject of prayer and revival and really saying it like it is, he said this, and I quote, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make that man holy and put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. I like that. Now, holiness speaks of two things primarily. The word holiness is derived from the same root word from where we get our English word wholeness from. So it first speaks of wholeness. That's a good description of holiness. Wholeness, being complete. It's to have together all the parts which were intended to be there and to have them functioning as they were intended to function. Everything is whole. Now God is complete. God God is whole. He is perfect. There's no blemish in God. He lives in harmony with Himself. He's beautiful. He's filled with joy and love and peace. In Him is wholeness. But it's the same word wholeness that has power to awaken that desire within us because we long to be a whole people. But the more we look at our Lord, the more we are so aware of our own brokenness and our lack of wholeness. And we see how much we hurt ourselves and how much we hurt, we hurt others and we're aware of our inability to cope with life. And at times we can put on this big facade, a big mask, and try to bluff our way through life as though we're able to handle anything, but inside, half the time we're running scared. That's a mark of a lack of wholeness. Because man has lost his way. We are made in the image and likeness of God when man first came from the hand of God. He was whole. Adam functioned as God intended man to function. He was functioning in the image and the likeness of God. But because of sin, we've, we've lost that likeness. We still have the image, but the likeness is God. So God determined to heal man's brokenness and to make man whole again by sending His Son to pay the price for our sins. Jesus paid the price for our unholiness. So that if I have any holiness in my life, it's not because of me. It's because Christ has been made unto me righteousness. He is my righteousness. And on that day when I stand before the presence of God, it will be because Christ died for me, not because of anything that I have done, but only what He has done for me. But that also encourages me because He's the one that makes me whole. He is the one that makes me holy. And because what He's done for me, I want to live a holy life. I want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And what's amazing about all this is He gives me the power to do just that through His Holy Spirit. That's why Peter is saying, because Christ has made us whole, then we need to live that way. And then the next definition for holiness is really to be different. You may say, oh, I've got that one down. People tell me I'm different all the time. Yeah, well, it means to be different in a good way. That word uh, for holy is a Greek word, hagios, whose root meaning is the word different. It means separate. The, the temple at that time was hagios because it was different from the other buildings. Uh, the Sabbath is, is hagios because it's different from other days. The Christian is hagios because he or she is different from others that are not saved. We've been bought with a price. We've been redeemed, a new creation. So then we're to be different in our thinking, different in our passions, different in our pursuits because we have different priorities. And those differences are going to be measured in the way we live our lives. We now represent Christ. We carry His name, Christian. 
gifts, and we need to represent them well. When we gave our lives to the Lord, the Holy Spirit came into our lives at salvation. He came to make us whole and, and to make us holy in practice. But let me say this. If there's, the least, if there's not the least bit of desire in your heart to live a holy life pleasing to God, then you really need to seriously question if your faith is in Christ is even genuine. Because you're going to want to please the Lord if you're truly born again. Now notice Peter doesn't say at the end of verse 15, but as he who has called you is holy, be holy in some of your conduct or in most of your conduct. No, he says in all of your conduct, in every area of your life, be holy. Years ago, my wife and I visited, it's called Hearst Castle. I don't know if you've been in Northern California. It's a big old castle, and, and it was a, he was, Randolph Hearst was a, a newspaper journalist, and, uh, and he built this huge castle. And, and uh, it's an interesting tour, but with my wife being in a wheelchair, you know, we couldn't go on the same tour that the regular tourists went through because there was, some of it wasn't wheelchair accessible. So what they did, they, they allowed us to go through some back rooms and some different areas that we could see that... that the other regular tourists couldn't see. And it was actually kind of cool because you always wonder when you're going on these tours, what's behind that door and what's behind this door? And we got to see it. So we got to see more rooms and everything else. Listen, when you receive Christ, when you receive Christ in your heart, you give Him the key to every room in your life, every area of your life. He wants access to every single room, all your conduct, He says. Let me make this even clearer. My focus is on God when I wake up. God when I'm in the shower, God at the breakfast table, God in the car, God at the office, God at the factory, God in the classroom, God when I'm in front of my computer, God in the boardroom, God in the bedroom. All your conduct is wholly set apart for God. Holiness is letting God conquer inner space, and when He conquers inner space, your outer space will be just fine. That's a Star Trek analogy, but it works. It's true. Let God have complete control of who you are on the inside and your outward actions will follow. Be holy, for I am holy. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Because God is holy. He has called every Christian to live holy life, set apart, different and whole. There are no exceptions to this call. Not just for pastors or Sunday school teachers or, or worship leaders. Every Christian, everywhere, God calls us to be holy. Jerry Bridges in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, said this, it is true that the desire for a holy life may only be a spark at the beginning, but that spark should grow till it becomes a flame. A desire to live a holy and pleasing life to God. True, our salvation brings with it a desire to be made holy. When God saves us through Christ, He not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but also from its dominion. I like that. In other words, we are free to live lives committed to holiness. We're no longer bound to sin. Very simple. Peter is saying, before you were saved, you had no choice but to follow your indulge in your fleshly lust. But now that you're spiritually alive, spiritually whole, you are enabled by God's Spirit to follow His Word, His will, and His ways. You are a child of God, and like any child, you, should, you inherited the nature of your parent, and you should act accordingly. Now, holiness is not automatic. You still have your flesh to contend with. But in order to even pursue holiness... We must daily decide not to live in the flesh and to look to our future. As a child of God, you have been set free from the ignorance that leads you to indulge in your lust. You no longer live for the passing world that is temporary, but that will we'll fade away. But we live for the Lord. We live for eternity in heaven. 
So let's commit our lives in this coming year to a year of holiness. Not going back to our old ways, as Paul says in Philippians 3.13. He says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are ahead, pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keep looking up. Listen, one final point as we head off into 2022. My prayer is that in 2022, first and foremost, that the Lord would come back. That's my prayer. Uh, Take us on that would be great. Uh, And I believe that could happen at any moment. But if the Lord should tarry, I know He has a plan for each one of us here upon this earth while we wait, and it's simply this, to know Him more, to make Him known, and to bring Him glory. Three things important to remember. God isn't keeping us here on this earth just to put our lives on cruise control and wait till He comes and gets us. It's not like we're at the bus station waiting for the bus to come down and pick us up. No. He wants us to occupy till He comes, to be busy, to know Him more, to make Him known, and to bring Him glory. Now this brings us to our, our verse for the year. If you've been with us over the, over the years, you know that every January I'd like to, to present a church with a verse for the year that would maybe encourage us, something we can look at throughout the whole year that, that God would have to, to, you know, we can apply in our lives. And last year, those of you who remember, in 2021, it was Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I think, man, this last year we needed that. Man, we needed to keep our eyes on the Lord because stuff going on in this world was just absolutely crazy. And I think, you know, that was perfect. But for this year, I think for us in the times in which we're living in, we need to get back to the reason why we're still here and why hasn't the Lord come back to rapture us home yet. So our verse for 2022 is John 15:16, where Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. See, Jesus still has you on this earth. He still has me on this earth because he chose us and he has appointed us to bear fruit and that our fruit should remain. That's God's desire for all of us. To know Him, to make Him known, and to bring glory to Him by bearing fruit. And what's the fruit that He wants us to bear? To to help win other people to Christ, to Himself, and help them grow spiritually. That's what Paul calls it. Back in in Romans chapter 1, verse 13, he says, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. So when we lead someone to to faith in Christ, we're bringing forth fruit. You might say, well, Tom, I just can't simply choose to win people to Christ. And that's true. You can't convert people at will. Sometimes I wish we could. There's some politicians I would love to say, poof, you're converted. You know, it'd be great. But but no one has that. It's a work of God. To this day, I'm amazed, still amazed at the work of conversion to see how God can transform a person instantaneously. Just take the guilt and the shame and the sin away and you see it in their eyes. You see that they've just, they've just been transformed. All we can do, all I can do is proclaim the Word of God and trust the Holy Spirit to take that seed and plant it in fertile soil. The timing is up to God. The work is up to God. And certainly the conversion is His work and His work only. I've never converted anyone. You don't want me to convert you. <laughs> All I do is proclaim the word. If I ever saved a person, that would be one miserable convert. 
Though it's true I cannot convert a person at will, and though it's true I cannot really decide who will and will not believe, we also know it's true that God works through people, right? God speaks through people to people. His primary way of reaching people is through human instruments. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We preach the Word so that it's God's will for you and I to share God's Word to a quickly dying world around us. None of us know how much time we have left. What if you come back today? I, I pray that. <laughs> but why not pull out all the stops in this coming year and pray, Lord, use me to lead at least one person to you this coming year. Start with that. And then be open to see who God brings into your life, into your path to share with. I tell you this, if you're experiencing any sort of spiritual dryness in your life right now, maybe, oh man, I've heard so many Bible studies and I've been to so many worship services and you're starting to get that feeling of been there, done that. I suggest that you really need an outlet in your life to, to not only continue to take it, but start giving out. Because if you just keep taking in, you're going to grow stagnant spiritually. So look for those opportunities to pour into those that don't know Christ and see what fruit comes from that. Again, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. So as we start 2022, let us gird up, let us sober up, let us grow up, and let us fruit up. How's that? And Jesus says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Now, obviously, that's in accordance with his will. But I promise you, if you pray, Lord, help me to live for you in 2022, that's God's will. Lord, help me to, to gird up, to sober up, to grow up. He'll answer that prayer. Lord, help me to live holy just as you are holy. He will answer that prayer. Lord, help me to bear fruit this year. Help me, Lord, to lead at least one person into a relationship with you. He will answer that prayer. That's His will. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. Now, maybe He wants to answer that prayer of mine right now with someone here right now if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ. Give your life to Him right now. Whatever the case, our desire, our, 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 our heart is to serve the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, 2022. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word. We thank you for just this uh, opportunity you give us, Lord, for uh, more time to share the hope that we have with the dying world around us. Lord, help us when we go through times of difficulty and, and stress and, and things going on in our life, that we don't look to the old ways of handling things, Lord, that we look to You and to Your Word. Lord, that we find strength in Your Word. We, we rely on You, Holy Spirit, to strengthen us and, and to get us through difficult situations. Lord, help us to, to be in tune to Your Spirit when You bring people into our paths that You'd have us to share with. Lord, help us to lead at least one person to faith in You this coming year, Lord. Thank You, Lord, for Your love and grace. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here, I think I know everyone, but if there's anyone here that's not uh, committed to You, Lord, help them to make that commitment to You this morning. Thank You, Lord, for the, the beauty of the day-to-day, -day, the white snow on the ground reminding us, Lord, of all of our sin has been forgiven, Lord. Though our sins were scarlet, you've made them white as snow, Lord. Thank you for that. Thank you for your love towards us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and do one.